This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Today on CityCast Boise, 19 years ago, the iconic and seemingly inescapable film Napoleon Dynamite came out. Constantly quoted with a soundtrack that had us all by the throats, Chances are, if you were around in 2004, you know it by heart. But does this Idaho-grown flick hold up? We got the whole team together for a rewatch, and the reviews are mixed. It's Thursday, June 8th. I'm Emma Arnold, and this is what Boise's talking about. All right, gang's all here. Evelyn Blake, Frankie, hello. Hey. Hello. Hey. Um, I can just feel how excited Evelyn is Ooh. to talk about this movie. So <laughs> let's just start out. Let's just jump right in. Frankie, why don't you why don't you give us some background here? Like tell us about the movie. When did it come out? Where was it shot? All the good stuff. Yeah, okay. So we're getting a time machine and going back to 2004 uh, when Napoleon Dynamite uh, was at the Sundance Film Festival and it got a lot of buzz and it was immediately then purchased uh, for $5 million. Uh, So the people who made this movie kind of rose out of uh, anonymity and became a hit. Um, And the people behind it are Jared Hess, He's the writer and director. And then his uh, wife, Jerusha Hess, I think it's how you say her name. Um, she co-wrote the film with him. And this was shot in Preston, Idaho, which is uh, way down in the southeast corner of the state, basically. Uh, pretty close to Utah, very much in Mormon country, uh, which is highly relevant to uh, the story. <laughs> and, um, you know, really launched the career not only of Jared Hess um, and his wife, Jerusha, but also John Hader, who played Napoleon, uh, John Grease, who, if anybody watched uh, White Lotus, uh, is an actor in White Lotus, and uh, Haley Duff um, was in the was in this film. So um, a lot of people's careers. And, and then um, the, the person who played Pedro Ef- Efren uh, Ramirez. Apparently, he was able to buy his parents a house after this movie. Oh, nice. Yeah, kind of sweet. Oh, and then I should also mention, of course, these folks, they met at BYU. So uh, this is a very, very BYU-driven story, and I think that'll come up a lot in our conversation about the kind of content that they included in it. Yeah. Um, so I this is a, a fun one because I feel like we have a fun little like generational divide here. Frankie, you and I uh, are older than Evelyn and Blake, and we obviously saw it when it came out. But this was Blake and Evelyn's uh, first time watching it. So let's start with you, Frankie. Do you remember watching this movie for the first time? And was it like real different this time around? Oh, I remember it so clearly. (laughs) This was a very important part of my adolescence. I was a junior in high school. 
distinctly remember going to the indie film uh, movie theater in Missoula, Montana to watch it with my best friend. And I was kind of like, I was a nerd, but I also did sports and stuff. And so like I deeply connected with the story of this super awkward teen, but like knew that it was a joke and I was in on the joke and oh my God, immediately was quoting it and all of the stuff. Uh, so very much, I remember it very clearly. And uh, it was weird to revisit it almost 20 years later now. Yeah, that was something my uh, husband Alex and I were commenting on was re-watching it. You're like, oh my God, I know this movie <laughs> word for word, not yep. from watching it over and over, but because people quoted it. Like you cannot even, I don't even feel like you can explain to a younger generation like how completely all-encompassing this movie was like how people quoted it to you constantly especially if you were you know in school still at the time like literally everybody walking around you know being like shut up tina you know like it was just so Lucky. so constant yeah. Yeah. oh my god yeah all the time all the time and the vote for pedro t-shirts did oh, you yeah. have one emma did you have i one? did my brother got me one for christmas uh one year i knew it i knew it i know i know um and i really you know i i can't remember where i first saw it but I also I can't remember how I hadn't seen it in like at least 15 years, maybe longer. And I don't know how many times I've watched it, like I said, because I feel like I, people quoted it so much. I feel like I've seen it a ton, of, a ton of times and I probably have. But yeah, it. I remember at the time really connecting to it as a, a rural Idaho kid. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I lived all over the state. I've lived very close to Preston um, uh, as a child for a couple years. And I mean, it really captures the weird awkwardness of small town life and like but in a, in a gentle sweet way and a lot of um, I mean, we'll talk more about that later but I remember at the time even just sort of feeling a little scene like I had a weird uncle you know what I mean like, yeah. totally <laughs> totally it felt very like oh yeah and on the rewatch I will say like the rewatch um, I was expecting to be pretty mortified by this movie especially because since Blake and Evelyn are watching it and they're Gen Z <laughs> we're millennials and I was expecting this to be a very like mortifying but it was a lot sweeter in in rewatching it first of all it's a well-made movie the film is like well written well made and it was a lot sweeter than i thought it was going to be i thought it was going to be just kind of a hundred percent cheese boy that mormon sense of humor really does come through the clean <laughs> comedy like geez all of it oh my gosh oh man it felt me it literally transported me back to junior high yeah uh, and yeah. you know my my mormon friends making you know, fart sounds and thinking that was the funniest thing you could possibly ever do. So the heck yes, all of it. I don't know if you really if you thought of this too, Emma, but Uncle Rico is like a tragic figure to me now. Like, I don't think I connected to Uncle Rico when I was in high school. But now, yeah, like this guy who's just, you know, living in the past and his dreams and all of that just being shattered over and over again um, and doing a total jerk about it, too. But uh, there was something about rewatching it now that stood out to me. That's funny because at the end of the movie, that was my kid's main um, complaint because we, we all watched it. Um, and the kids had seen it, but not since they were little. And that my kids were like, that guy did not deserve a happy ending. <laughs> like it, they, yeah, they yeah. the scene where he's like at the very end, he's throwing the football and he's sad. They were like, that's where it should have ended for him. He should have a terrible, unhappy <laughs> ending with his broken arm and he can't even throw a football anymore. And then this beautiful woman rides up on a bike and all the kids started screaming and be like, no, no, Uncle Rico does not get a happy ending so <laughs> he was a very tragic figure but he's also a total piece of shit who tells yep. a teenage girl to uh, increase her buzz size so just a just a gross person
Well, let's get to our our Gen Z uh, uh, peeps here. I want to hear, Blake, why don't we start with you? What did you think? You grew up in a a rural place. You grew up, you know, very small town. Yeah, I did. And so it's kind of like I never watched this. Where I grew up, this was a very distinct choice to watch this movie (laughs) or not to. Uh, And I did not. And I don't know, I'm actually kind of glad that I didn't, especially now, just because like, yeah, kind of seeing it with fresh eyes. But similarly to like, I almost didn't need to. (laughs) It was also sweeter than I expected it to be. But it was so widely quoted. And um, we didn't really relate to it, just because it was a different timeline, of course. But I think a lot of people, a lot of my peers actually watched it with a good amount of nostalgia for almost wishing that they had grown up earlier. You know what I mean? Like that that they were of of a previous generation because I think that there's like, with Gen Z, there's sort of this forlornness and it was just like, well, the planet is is dying, um, <laughs> and, and and violence is bad and everywhere, yeah. And so I think that that was part of it too, and also just kind of the the aesthetic of yeah, small town life, um, like rural Idaho life, where it's just kind of like anonymous in a way that like the the world is just kind of permanently far away. Um, what an incredible little piece of culture. It's really something. (laughs) That's so interesting you say the nostalgia piece, because for me watching it, it made me think of how, you know, I see my Gen Z kids. They're obsessed with the 90s, even though I'm like, you didn't live through the 90s. You didn't live. You lived through a minute and a half of the early 2000s. But that's like their time period. And for us, you know, as millennials, it was the 80s, even though that was like our older siblings or or even our parents generation in some cases. Like, I just thought that was so funny because it did make me feel uh, a lot of nostalgia when they, he has the long phone cord and he has to go yeah. around. Out, yep. He takes the phone outside. I was like, oh, my gosh, that is such a like such an inherent piece of my childhood. Having the long phone cord, the wood paneling in the in yeah. the house and oh, like the casserole the dish. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. my God. Yeah. yeah. There is a lot of nostalgia stuff in there. And and you know, not simpler time shit, but but honestly, like no cell phone, watching people mm-hmm. run around with no cell phone. I was like, yes, oh, that looks kind of like heaven. <laughs> so, well, and then I want to get to you. Uh, what did you think of it? What What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I so this was my first time watching it. I actually never grew up with seeing any of the references, never really saw, I guess, like that cultural impact that it had on people um, just really wasn't a a thing here in Caldwell. And so I tried to be super open-minded. I tried to get in that 2004 mindset and I just couldn't do it. I <laughs> I don't get it. I um what is the plot of this movie? Like what was, That is a good I, question. Oh my god. I don't know. I hated it. That's a good question. The plot, let's see. What is the plot of this movie? A guy is kind of a jerk to a girl, but it's okay. It works out. They go to a dance, I guess, is maybe <laughs> the plot at the end of the day. Uh, boy feeds llama uh, reluctantly. Um, yeah. What didn't you like about it? Like specific, I, t- I, I had a gut feeling that you were not going to connect with this movie. But was it, I mean, you grew up, Caldwell's a small town, you know? Did you connect with any of the sort of rural, small town elements of that at all? Um, I don't think so. Maybe just seeing like those farmers. I was like, oh, that looks like someone I see at a grocery store. So seeing like, you know, the old white farmer men, I was like, oh, (laughs) 
that looks like I have seen him at Walmart before. But everyone in the film looked so old. I couldn't get over it. I was like, all oh, these actors look so old. Um, and then the fashion, disgusting. Everybody had hideous <laughs> outfits on. And it was, yeah, no, I, that that's what stood out to me. I'm so glad you brought that up because I feel like that is such a, a piece of um, small town uh, rural poverty life that I connected to because I think now, you know, since there's Amazon um, and, you know, a lot of delivery and stuff that you can get, that's not really such a thing anymore in small towns. But really, when I was a kid, like if you're if you didn't have a parent parents who were rich enough to take you shopping in a city or order from catalogs, yep. you mostly dressed from your town's crappy thrift store and uh, the fashion on it. Like and also a lot of that stuff now is like kitschy or like kind of cool, like the horse T-shirt, you know, like. Uh, but that was not cool when I was growing up. And that was exactly how we had to dress was like secondhand Wranglers, the ugliest, mm -hmm. you know, Rick. I literally had an ugly Rick's college T-shirt, even though we were not Mormon, you know, <laughs> oh my like God. the fashion. I really I feel like is so spot on. I'm not saying it's not hideous. Spot on. It's for not sure. hideous. No, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think one of the biggest things that stood out to me was that such a low budget low production film like how it became so iconic and such a staple that like blows my mind mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah well and i think you know i you see like there's like there was nostalgia for it at the time but i think even watching it now it's weird to me how like fashion wise and and there's you're still sort of seeing some of those fashion choices, you know, like people dressing very country who have never actually been in the country, you know. So I don't know. It kind of has echoes, <laughs> totally. whether you like it or not. Still, I think it was kind of the beginning of like an ironic, you know, T-shirt wearing wolves howling images like it gave you permission if you were an Napoleon Dynamite fan to be like, yeah, actually, I did get this at the thrift store and I'm wearing it. In kind of an ironic way, but also uh, it fully in on the joke. Um, but yeah, it's pretty it's pretty hideous, especially like, oh, poor Deb. Uh, the stirrup pants from the 80s that she had to wear <laughs> were just really, really rough. Yep. Yeah. So let's just go around really quick. Did you enjoy the film or just a straight up no? Evelyn, are you just a straight up no? You just did not like it at all? Um. Yeah, I didn't really enjoy it. I think it's overrated. I didn't really giggle. And I will say like 2004 films are some of my favorite films because I'm a girly girl. So like Mean Girls and 13 yeah. going on 30. Yeah. And so what you see in a lot of those films and at that time is the main character is super, super awkward and they crave transformation and being popular and just like changing themselves and that's one thing that you don't see in this film, actually, is that he's just awkward and he just remains awkward throughout the whole film. And that's that's just the way he is. He's living his life. So I guess that was interesting. But yeah, not a fan. I guess that's a, a good point. And I wonder if that's because it's a male character. So at the end of the day, it's OK mm. that he's weird because he's a boy, so he can do whatever he wants, whereas a girl has to transform herself into something more attractive, more likable, whatever. So, yeah, that's a that's a very good point. Blake, what about you? Like or dislike? I, I mean, it's a no for me, for sure. I'll never watch it again. Um, <laughs> but I, Like, I don't need to. But I think that there is 
I, I did find it really, really interesting because I think that there's an element of like coming out of the 80s and 90s, there's, you know, this kind of like anti-jock element of this uh, movie where it's like this awkwardness, like really leaning into that awkwardness and the irony of it. And, you know, it's just kind of like a little bit like disillusioned from a lot of kind of like, I don't know, like mainstream, uh, like kind of culture and ideology, but in a in a way that doesn't have much of a standpoint, doesn't it doesn't really have a perspective on the world, I feel like. And the kind of accidental effect of focusing on like, you know, people from a place that just don't get represented in film a lot is that it also showed, um, yeah, some of the pretty terrible aspects of, of those parts of society as far as just like, obviously the misogyny is really, really rampant. And also within the movie, you have an understanding that there's kind of a parallel society of like Latino people who are living in this town who they they are part of the story in a way <laughs> like you have Pedro, but everything else is is just kind of like a superficial like they're just there. We don't really need to worry about them. Like you know that's not what this movie is about. Even though this is supposedly about this town um, or about this kind of way of life, and maybe that's not really what the point was. It wasn't supposed to be like a snapshot into like small town Idaho in the early two thousands, but like. It definitely reads as pretty accurate for those for those reasons in maybe not the way that it was intended to, which I think is still valuable, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I feel like in a weird way, not on purpose, it's a critique of white, white culture. For sure. Because literally, totally. constantly, you're like, wow, the food is horrible. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, the music is bad. Like, all of the fun and cool elements that are introduced into the movie come from outside of this very, like mainstreamy small town white culture you yes. know where it's it's like the music he gets the dance moves you know like uh it just all kind of seems to like but that's very true of a small like living mm -hmm. in small towns i know like when i was growing up in these very mostly white very small towns uh like you are so desperate for culture for anything yes. You know, and, and now it's a lot easier to get because of the Internet. But, you know, in the 90s, it was like it was very, very hard to find these elements of music and art and all these other things and to, like, pull that into your life. And like it, at the very end, when you sh shows Kip getting on the bus with I mean, LaFonda that was, from Detroit, yeah, that's probably my favorite. Mo yeah. Like the my favorite part of it is him leaving the yeah. small town. Mm -hmm. And I got so excited for him that I'm like, wherever you're going, it's better. I'm sure yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, having lived in a lot of small towns, I was excited for him. In some ways, it feels like honestly, Kip is the main character for me. And mm -hmm. uh, his evolution and his decision to leave is like the one thing to root for throughout the film. But you're totally right. There's no plot it's just like here's a bunch of indie kids uh you know making fun of nerd culture but also very much a part of it and it was at that time as emma you said for white kids for indie white kids very much an identifier and very much a hey you 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 know this film too because the internet y'all we're going back in time the internet just like i can't even express to you the 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 fact that the music itself like the soundtrack going to buy the cd and not being able to find a playlist on spotify like this this is true nostalgia because you you couldn't find your culture unless you like sought it out specifically like the people in line to go see napoleon dynamite 
I was like, maybe we could be friends. <laughs> yeah, I like what you said about like, it does kind of feel like rural white people desperately kind of trying to create a culture just yep. because it's like, yes, there is a religious influence on it that's very palpable, but you know, we don't spend time in any churches or anything like that. And so it's kind of like trying to create a like, what is our culture? Like, what is our standpoint? Like, what what do we do? Like, what do we stand for? Anything like that. And it's just like, the end result is like irony, question mark. But, you know, yeah. that leaves <laughs> yeah. you pretty empty handed. Yeah, I think that's a very, uh, very good point, because like the stories that were being told in 2004 so often were the stories of like the not actually very interesting white guy surrounded right. by interesting people. Yeah. And uh, like Pedro is such an interesting character. This this kid who's so brave that he runs for president, you know, and he and I, I through the whole thing, kept thinking I would rather watch a movie about Pedro or Deb. Uh, totally. or, Absolutely. Deb. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'd watch that. Do you ride the bus to school? No. I ride my bike. What kind of bike do you have? It's a sledgehammer. Dang. You got shocks, pegs. Lucky. All right. Well, let's do let's do uh, moments. Okay. Any fave moments, cringe moments, your least more or most favorite character. I'm going to start because you know who my most favorite character is? Grandma. Yes. I know her. I know so many people exactly like her. I was like, her. queer icon. They say yeah. she has a boyfriend. I was like, that she doesn't have a boyfriend. No, she does uh, not. They show that one clip of her dune buggy when she breaks her whatever, coxic or whatever. Uh, there's all these like people in cutoff shirts who are kind of gender Woo! ambiguous yeah, yeah, and everybody's yeah. screaming for her. And yeah. I was like, this queer icon, this is Pride Month. I love her. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, she's raising two grandkids, clearly kind of on her own. And she's got a pet llama. She's best friend friends with lover uh she's my favorite character in the whole thing tonight me and your aunt are going to go visit some friends and we're not going to be back till tomorrow well what's there to eat get off napoleon make yourself a dang quesadilla fine i kind of second the moment that you cut away from like she's like oh i've got to go I'll, I'll be back tomorrow and then you cut away to her like riding the dune buggy on some sand dunes probably the saint anthony sand dunes or something <laughs> um and it's just kind of like a good, yeah, I absolutely know that woman who's trying to raise two people like 40 years younger than that, than her. And she's so much cooler than them. Like she <laughs> just has like more going on in her life. The one moment that really got to me was when they walk into the dance and Forever Young starts playing. Mm. I was just like, I kind of, I, I was like fighting the urge to get up and walk out of the room because it, it, it is the one moment that actually kind of got to me. I was like, that's that's pretty good. Like, that, yeah, I appreciate that. Speaking about the dance, the part, the only part I giggled was when Napoleon went to go pick up this girl to go to the dance and it cuts to the <laughs> shot of him with the cholos going yeah. to the dance. Like, that's when I giggled it's and I was like, so okay. Good. That yeah. was pretty yeah. cute. Yeah, I liked that too. <laughs> I, again, I was like, I'd like a whole movie about these two. Yeah. What are they doing in this small town with this amazing car? The only people playing good music in the entire town. I was like, mm-hmm. more of them. Until plays. La Fonda gets there. Yeah. Until La Fonda gets there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, obviously. <laughs> what about you, Frankie? Um, I mean, I'm going to say my least favorite character. Clearly, the principal is just an ass uh, yeah. <laughs> from yeah. the get go. I mean, he was clearly the evil character even, even back then, but just like even way worse, way worse coding in. Uh, 2004, how he's like creepily on the side of the stage when um, Haley Duff's character is doing her dance performance or whatever, and he's like really into it. Like, ugh, yikes. Yeah. Does not play well at all. 
speaking of that, the one thing that one thing that we didn't really talk about is just like the pervasive, like actual physical bullying that Napoleon goes through yes. throughout oh this gosh. movie, where it's yes. just like, yep. I absolutely know that at that time that was kind of like the lol you just got slammed into a locker bro sorry about that um which is is also just like a very very um yeah prescient example of like how how men are taught to deal with violence um and um how they're taught to like metabolize that into how they interact with other people i thought that was like ooh, that that's a tough one to kind of want to look away from that one 100 percent. yeah i i thought that was a probably i was like of everything in this movie generationally i feel like that is the most stark because mm-hmm. um you know i know like i was got beat up almost every day of seventh grade by a girl who broke another girl's nose so bad she had to like be out of school for months and she oh, i mean like the physical bullying when I was a kid was like very, very real. And I know my own kids, the bullying that they have faced or, you know, the stuff I hear about their friends facing is more uh, emotional. It's more verbal. But starting around like when I started having kids, they started having these anti-bullying things in school and actually having conversations about this. And it was no longer just boys will be boys and shove another boy into a locker or oh, let them work it out. Like we really started to be like, which is very generational because I think part of what I connect to in uh, in this movie is uh, just being parented in the most neglectful, benignly neglectful way possible, <laughs> if you're lucky, you know, mm-hmm. just sort of like there's steaks in the freezer. Good luck. Make a um, quesadilla. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you came home and you were like, I got shoved into a locker, like that was your problem to solve. Boomer parents were not always super interested in in how your day was going. <laughs> and I feel like generationally that was, you know, has really, really changed. I, I don't know that for sure. You guys could probably tell me better. But like, I feel like that is a pretty stark example of, of something that is like no longer OK, you know, no longer acceptable to do. So a little bit of improvement, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I guess that does speak to even more so once again, just like how much of an anthem this was to see uh, Napoleon after his Jamiroquai dance and the entire assembly, you know, get to their feet and clap and have that moment of, oh, okay, maybe I do have value in this community for once. How big of a deal that was for people who experienced bullying in that era. So let's end on this. Like, what do you think? I'm I'm guessing this is no from all of us, but would you recommend this to others? Uh, would you would do you think it's important like to to have in your film, you know, to have in your film pocket to be like, yes, I watched that. It's an interesting thing. Would you recommend it? Would you watch it again? Evelyn, let's start with you. Mm, I would say I think everyone has to watch it at least once, even if you're not actually watching it and you're just like <laughs> on your phone. <laughs> Just say you watched it (laughs) and then never think about it ever again. (laughs) Okay, got it. Blake, what about you? I kind of agree. I think that I think it is useful, like a useful example of like, if you've never really traveled to like a really like, I don't mean just like a a town outside of a bigger town. I mean, like rural areas um, where it's like an hour plus to, you know, a department store of some sort. I wish that there was like a 10 or 20 year later version of this movie so that I could rather than trying to have to explain to someone <laughs> what my childhood was like, I could just be like, I don't want to talk about it. Just watch this movie. Um, I, I kind of wish that just because it is a it's a good snapshot of a time and a place. So, yeah, I guess I agree with Evelyn. I think watch it once and 
take notes as far as how to not make food because <laughs> the, every every single shot with food, oh, I'm like, yeah, I have seen that. I have been offered that. Um, and it is the basis of, of what I try not to do when I cook. <laughs> you don't want a green bean casserole with yeah. cream of mushroom soup with croutons on top? Like? Or just raw <laughs> eggs in a, oh, in a lemonade pitcher? The raw egg in the, that literally my great grandma used to do. Oh I my forgot gosh. that that was, I forgot. I was like, oh, it's orange juice. And I was like, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's mm. horrible. Um, yeah, I'm going to make, uh, if I ever have a child, I will make them watch this movie. <laughs> They're going to have to sit through it. <laughs> make Daphne watch it. Daphne, she was next to me, but she got up a couple of times, so I'm going to make her watch it tonight. Um, yeah, I think I think just for the pure understanding of who I was in 2004, they will have to watch this. I the, I really agree with Blake that um, it's it's so hard for me to describe my childhood, and and I don't even think Napoleon Dynamite does a, a great job of it because I lived even more rural than that a lot of times. But um, one thing I thought was like. If you were going to show somebody like this is what it's like is when you'd show out the movie would show a house, but there is nothing else around. Nothing around it. Is it is dirt road and nothing for miles. The hazy horizon. Yeah. But also a brick house that they don't they don't make those anymore. Like, no. <laughs> like, ah, <laughs> no. uh, that drives me nuts. Yeah. Yeah. It, I that I felt like would be really useful to show people because like when I lived in, you know, southern states or Michigan, people would be like, oh, we're going to the country. And by country, they mean a town that's five minutes outside of another town. And they would have a hard time picturing just like the isolation of the West is something I think the rest of the country has a hard time understanding that like you could you can be like miles and miles and miles away from another person, you know, mm-hmm. Uh or two hours from the nearest grocery store. And so, like, if you get home and you don't have enough eggs for your orange juice, you're waiting until the next shopping day <laughs> <Yep>. so, <laughs> until yeah. you go into town again. <laughs> well, all right. That was a fun one. I'm glad I'm glad we rewatched it, even though I have pretty mixed feelings on it. And it was very fun to get your takes. So can't wait for the next one. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Heck yes. <laughs> Heck yes. <laughs> <laughs> Back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walking loose, climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are. Here's some news to know today. If you feel like the weather recently has been wild, well, it really has. Lightning, three quarter inch hail, giant raindrops, and enough street flooding for folks to float the co op parking lot. According to the Idaho Statesman, a Boise City Council meeting even had to be paused because the storm was so loud. Plus, police closed a stretch of interstate in both directions because of high water and stalled vehicles. And before you go, we have a correction to make from our episode about the boys of Boise. In it, we incorrectly said that Idaho's crime against nature law, which criminalizes anal and oral sex, was still on the books. But good news, we were wrong, and the law was repealed in 2022. Thanks to our listener, Richie, for correcting us. That's all for today here on CityCast Boise. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you'd fill out our listener survey. It takes about five minutes and you can find it at citycast.fm slash survey. That's citycast.fm slash survey. You'd be doing us a big favor. Plus, you might win a $250 Visa gift card. We'll be back tomorrow morning for your weekly news roundup. Bye.